0: I invite you to take them and turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. This morning we'll read in just a moment verses 10 through 15 as we continue on in our series, stewardship series. It's not mine, it's not ours. It all belongs to him. A special thank you to the children from our children's choir who ministered to our hearts this morning. Um, Thank you so much for that. God is blessing at Big Woods in some wonderful, wonderful ways. I'm glad that you are here today. I I know it's just yet one more cold day. I was reading that February, February arguably is the most depressing month of the entire year. And you know this year it has been a, a long winter. It's been cold and it has been dark um, I heard last week the groundhog did not see his shadow. Uh, that means we have like six more months, I think, of winter. Um, I was thinking about it, people, they get excited around Christmas time for the cold weather and everyone has the cool boots and and the scarves, okay? It has lost its coolness long ago. Um, people are longing for shorts and sandals, and, and so we understand that Good news awaits. Good news is here for us. The ultimate good news, we share the hope of the gospel, but there's good news with spring is coming. I I read this week that pitchers and catchers report the spring training in just about two weeks. That's good news. Uh, But even more important, and Thane alluded to it, um, I look forward next Sunday. I would encourage you to make sure you're here next Sunday where we have a really neat story to tell as far as what God is doing as a result, as a direct result of your faithful prayers. Please continue to be in prayer for the future of Big Woods Bible Church. God is doing some neat and wonderful things. I look forward next week to sharing more of that story with you. Before we go any further, let's just bow our heads and give God all of the glory as we ask for his help as we learn this morning from his word. Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful for every single person that is here today. And we thank you, Lord, for the children that blessed our hearts by lifting up their voices to you in praise. We thank you, Lord, that there is great news, regardless of how difficult or dark or long or cold a winter has been. Lord, our focus is on you, that there is hope for us individually, that there is unconditional love that is extended. And we thank you for that. We gather this morning in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and we ask that everything that is said, everything that is done would be for your glory and for your glory alone. May we have ears to hear what you have for us. May we have hearts that are ready to to change so that we are more conformed, to be more like the image of Jesus Christ. We call ourselves Christians. May we strive to be followers of Christ in every single area of our life. And God, if there are people that are here right now that do not know you as Lord and Savior, that you would, you would draw them unto yourself, that they would come to know you and accept you as Lord and Savior. Thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your word and the ministry of your presence through your spirit that's here. Guide us now. We ask this in the strong name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, I want to begin in verse 10. In this stewardship series, we've been talking about the fact that it all belongs to the Lord. Listen to what Solomon has to say. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurts. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again. Naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hands. We have been looking at biblical principles when it comes to the subject of stewardship. Throughout the word of God, we have connected the dots that what your understanding your approach to money is actually intimately connected to your approach to your spiritual walk and your spiritual life. And so we've been reminded of what we call stewardship principles. If we can just do a quick review. Stewardship principle number one, what? God owns everything and I am his money manager. Psalm chapter 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. We built upon that. And we looked at stewardship principle number two. My heart always goes where I put God's money. Jesus Christ says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21, where your treasure is there, your hearts will be also. Stewardship principle number three. We learned last week, heaven, not earth, is our home. Philippians in chapter 3 says, our citizenship is in heaven, which means what? We are moving through this earth right here. We're moving through this world. We're, we're aliens and we're pilgrims and we're tenters. I want that reality to sink in and it literally will change the way that we live every single day of our life. I like the way that Randy Alcorn in his book, The Treasure Principle, says this. Listen very carefully. We need to think of life in terms of a dot and a line. Alcorn says we need to think of our life right here as a dot and a line. He explains our present life on earth is but a dot. It begins and it ends. It's very brief. But from that dot extends a line that goes on forever. That line is eternity, which Christians will spend in heaven. So think about it. A dot, a little tiny dot is life here on this earth. A line extending from that is life in heaven. For the purpose of learning this morning, I want to borrow that idea for you and I to grab hold of. And we apply it to our treasure principle, our, our Our stewardship principle number four, I should live for the line and not the dot. So this morning we learned this, although life is but a dot, we live for the line that extends from that. I should live for the line, not the dot. How do we do this? We live for the line by remembering first and foremost, life on earth is short, You can write that down and remember it. How do we do this anyway? Remember, first and foremost, life on earth is short. I think of the words of James in chapter 4, in verse 14. He says, what is your life? You ever think about that? What is life anyway? James says this, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes Peter adds to that in 1 Peter chapter 1, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And so as we move through life, we've been trying to teach this idea. Remember last week when I I sent you to the dump? Do you remember that? Everyone should go to the dump, the, the, the landfill, the junkyard, the trash heap, a burning pile of refuse. What do we do? We, 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 as we are there, we take the kids, we dress warm, we pack a lunch, and we look specifically for things. Look for the rats that kind of scurry in between. Look for the maggots. We, we smell the, the smells of, of rotting garbage. And we hear the crunching of what a bulldozer is. It just backs over, over and over again, just crunching everything that at one point was of great value for people. People are bringing those things home as treasures. And we go to the dump and we realize, you know what? None of that stuff lasts for very long. Don't live for things that don't last very long. This week I want you to go to another place. Okay? There won't be the the sounds and there won't be the the smells at all. I want you to go to another place that actually, in all honesty, if it were springtime, if it was summertime, it it would be a place that smells very, very good because of the flowers that are there, and because of the fresh cut grass. I want you to go to the cemetery. If you're married, go with your spouse. If you have children, take your children or your grandchildren. If you're not married, take a friend and go to the cemetery. And as you go to the cemetery, you find these little tombstones, these these marble headstones. And I want you to look on the left-hand side. There's a date. there's a year that is there, 1875, 1912, 1919, 1952. There's always a date. And then on the right of that, there's another date. 1968, 1979. But in the middle, between those two dates, you'll see something. It's a little tiny line. In our English punctuation, it's referred to as a dash. I learned this week it's not to be mistaken with a hyphen or a minus sign. It's actually a dash. According to the Modern Humanities Research Association in London, who wrote a handbook for authors, editors, and writers of thesis, the N-dash, not to be confused with the M-dash, which I did not know existed, but apparently it does, (laughs) is used to indicate spans of time. To replace the word to or end, an example is actually given. The French and Indian War was fought in western Pennsylvania, 1754, dash to 1763. What does that mean? The dash in all of these cases is used to mark the passing of time. A dash. Or you can think of it like this. Our life on earth is but a dash or what's? As Alcorn would use the idea, a dot. People, any way you cut it, any way you look at it, our time here on this earth, it is fleeting. It is but for a moment. Know it. Accept it. In the first service last week, I was sitting here and I recognized a face of a woman who was visiting. She was actually visiting her, her niece who studies at Lockhaven University. And I recognized her, but I thought that... The, and, and afterwards, she came up to me. She introduced herself. I should say reintroduced herself. We graduated from college together 23 years ago. I was like, you are old. <laughs> she said, no, you're old. Anyway, you cut it. Here, just for a dot. And then we're gone. We are to live for the line. How do we do this? We live for the line, secondly, by reminding ourselves. By reminding ourselves that the pursuit of money and possessions is futile. We live for the line by reminding ourselves the pursuit of money and possessions is futile. We read a couple of verses from the book of Ecclesiastes. In chapter five, Ecclesiastes is written by one King Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Not only is he considered one of the wisest men that has ever lived, he's actually considered, excuse me, one of the wealthiest men that have ever lived. It's actually hard to measure his wealth. Gold alone, just gold alone they estimate it to be in the hundreds of billions of dollars, just in gold alone. One of the wisest, one of the wealthiest, and he speaks on the subject of money that I believe he actually offers some experience in, that we need to heed what he says. As we read those couple verses, there are several nuggets that, that kind of jump off the page for us, nuggets of truth. It says this in verse 10, it begins, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Yeah, yeah but it's easy for him to say it, King Solomon to say, it. he has billions of dollars. Yeah, but from experience, he said, there's no satisfaction here. In verse 12, it says, what? The full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. It says in verse 15, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again. Naked as he came, and he shall take nothing for his toil that he can carry away in his hand. Kind of reminds me of what Job says. Naked I came, naked I will go. Blessed be the name of the Lord's. Do you realize the the, the reason that we're pausing on this subject so much when it comes to stewardship? Because I know that we're to be stewards of our time, we're to be stewards of our talents, but this seems to be the hang-up. If if we understand the importance of this one, the other ones will fall into place. Because this is connected to how we spend our time. Do you realize that people literally wrap, they they plan their entire lives. Colleges are chosen, universities are chosen, careers are chosen based on, and I've heard this from parents, my son's going to go study here, our daughter's going to become this, because they can make a lot of money. Whole lives are centered around how much money people want to make or will try to make. So many people choose to pursue something that even the richest people that have ever lived on the face of the earth have clearly stated. It is not worth it. It's not worth it. Listen to this, John Jacob Astor, who's actually the first multi-millionaire that's ever in the United States, as far as the country. John Jacob Astor says this: "I am the most miserable man on earth." W. H. Vanderbilt, who made his his millions in the railroads uh, business, he says this: "The care of two hundred million dollars." is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. John D. Rockefeller, I have made millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Andrew Carnegie says, millionaires seldom smile. Henry Ford says this, I was much happier when I was doing a mechanic's job. Think of that. Bill Gates, I think you've heard of him before, says this, as the wealth got large enough, Melinda and I have talked about the view that wealth wasn't something that would be good to pass on to our children. Think about it. Well, why. Why is it those statements are made like that? Why is it that money doesn't satisfy Because many people, most people, choose to live for life on this earth, which is temporal, rather than focusing on what? On heaven, a home that awaits on the eternal. You have to realize, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, we are created in the image of God. There's a portion of us within us, our soul, that is eternal. We are built, we are designed by God to live for the line, to think of eternity. We've been created for that. And we've been learning in the study what giving, not, not keeping is living for the line. Handing out, not hoarding is living for the line. Did you ever see the bumper sticker that says, he who dies with the most toys wins. I didn't entirely understand that. I like the bumper sticker that actually is in response to that. I think it's a lot more accurate. It says, he who dies with the most toys still dies. Think think of it. We need to remember, if you have lived your life hoping for and planning and seeking to acquire and get more stuff, it will leave you empty. If you have worked hard to gain and to get more and more and more, and you can't take it with you, then what happens? You don't. You don't win. You lose. You lose. There's a, there's a term that's 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 in our news a lot right now. It, it's I learned it's it's called a portmanteau. It's a blending together of two other words. The word is affluenza. Have you heard of that recently? I think there's a a case in courts of a young boy who is what suffering from affluenza. It's it's the blending together of the word affluence and the word influenza. I, I checked it out. There's a book that actually is written called influenza, the all-consuming epidemic. And it's actually defined, although it's not an official English word in our language, there's a definition that is very accurate. Affluenza is a painful, contagious, socially transmitted condition of overload, debt, anxiety, and waste, resulting from the dogged pursuits of more. PBS actually did a documentary on this idea, on this, this word, affluenza. And, and it and revealed something I thought was quite interesting, that the average American today has a garage that is 900 square feet on average in America. 900 square feet. And they compare that to the average size house in the 1950s was about 900 square feet. And it's interesting to note as well that, that the happiest, if they were to measure Americans on the so-called happy scale, I don't know how you do that, but they claim that the, the height of when America was the happiest was 1957. About the same time that their entire home was the size of most of our garages. Garages where now we store things that we really don't use all the time. We just continue to allow it to pile up on site. In America today, statistics have revealed that we spend six hours shopping per week, purchasing and, and attaining more stuff, and we spend 40 minutes in meaningful conversation or dialogue with our children over the course of an entire week. The average parent spends 40 minutes in meaningful conversation or dialogue with their own children per week. Okay, something's broken here. Why people are pursuing something that they ought not pursue. Do you realize that by the time our children reach the age of 20, they will have seen more than one million commercials. They would have heard more than one million commercials of what? You've got to have this. Think of that. Do you realize that the overwhelming majority of people who divorce in our country today, the, the number one what? The number one reason is the conflict that comes as a result of money matters and financial problems. Do you realize this that more people in America declare bankruptcy than graduate from college? Think of that. Something broke. Because people are focusing on the wrong thing. What does Solomon say? He has something to say on this matter. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves his income. He says what? This also is vanity. Whereas the person who lives for the line lives for treasures in heaven that will never end. Thirdly and finally, how how do we do this? How do we live for the line? Thirdly, by rejoicing in opportunities to give in a way that matters forever. We rejoice that there are opportunities that are given to us by God to give in such a way that actually matters, and it matters forever. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, the last chapter in this book Paul is writing to his his young student, his disciple, Timothy, and he actually gives instruction here on how we're to live our lives. First Timothy chapter six. I want you to see this yourself. Begin with me in verse seventeen. As for the rich. Now you would automatically say, yeah, but that's my neighbor because you no, know, anyone who lives in America lives in the wealthiest society that has ever existed in the history of the world. We are who they're talking to. Okay? As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or arrogant or prideful or puffed up, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches So it actually explains very clearly how we're supposed to do this. We are what, we're not just to give to anything and anyone. We give in such a way that actually that which is truly life. We give to that which promotes the, the kingdom of God so that God is glorified in the extending of his eternal kingdom. We give to that which promotes, which extends it. I, I quoted earlier, uh, for you, Bill Gates, a moment ago, arguably one of the richest men in the world today. And he says this, I continue to quote Bill Gates. I have $100 billion. Do you realize that I could spend $3 million a day, every day for the next 100 years? He says this, I'll tell you what, I'll buy your right arm for a million dollars. I give you a million bucks and I get to sever your arm right here, right now. People, that is rich, but that is also what? That is sick. That's really what it is. There's no doubt that the Gates Foundation has given untold millions and millions of dollars away. But they have what? They have given it into a a, a vortex of really very little eternal good. For what we understand, what we have heard and said, he has not given his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Gates says this, just in terms of allocation of time resources, religion is not very efficient. And I quote, there's a lot more that I could be doing on Sunday morning. I'm not trying to just diss this one individual. We have to pray. We have to pray for people who have that type of thinking that are lost. Solomon was that kind of rich, the richest in the whole wide world's. And he learned what? He learned that riches in and of itself does not, will not ever satisfy Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. Whatever I wanted. And then his conclusion says this in verse 11, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, I considered all that my hands... Had done and the toil had experience in doing and behold all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Wow, that matches exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ teaches. In Matthew chapter sixteen, what shall it profit a man if he gains the entire world, if everything he gets, but he loses his own soul? Yes, he translates it, he forfeits his own life. We have to understand here, God desires our soul. When we offer the Lord our soul, we offer him everything. That's what lordship is all about. And we understand the importance, what if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe, you shall be saved. We understand the truth of scripture. Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord's both of the dead and the living. And so I simply impress upon you at this very moment the importance of this fact. If you call Jesus Christ Lord, then you've offered to Him, what? Everything. It all is His. And you have to live with that understanding. Why are people getting fooled by this? Why are we listening to the messages in the world around us? People yearn and they ache and they long for treasures here and now. It's a dangerous thing. You, you will part. You will part with every single thing that, that exists and abides here on this earth. You will part. The, the choice is what? Will you invest it now into eternity? I like the great old missionary, long with the Lord at this point, Jim Elliott. <clears throat> a a martyred missionary along with four other men and and killed further faith in Ecuador in the 1950s. He uh, he, he says this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's, He's no fool who gives something that he can't keep anyway to gain something that he cannot lose. He has eternity in view. He has this idea of gain. It's okay, but it's gain with the right perspective to live for the line. So, if if this affluenza is the disease, what is the cure? If materialism is the poison, what is the antidote? If people are living for the dot, the dash here instead of the line, what is the solution? I conclude once again by First Timothy chapter six: Be generous. Be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This here, enjoy it, but for a moment. But by acknowledging with your life that he is Lord over all, there is a true life that awaits. May we live for the line every single day, every single day of our brief time here on this earth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for a reminder and Lord, how how clear your word is. How much your word has to say on this one subject. God, I would ask that we would hear from you, that we would make appropriate changes, that we would see you as Lord's, the one who reigns, the one who is supreme, the one who is sovereign over all. Help us, Lord, to hand our lives to trust you. And may You, Lord, give us the wisdom to live in a way that brings glory to the name of Jesus and extends Your kingdom. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we close?